we were just an alcoholic on the show, it might be a better show. Maybe he is an alcoholic on the show. We don't know what he's like. <laughs> well, we 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 do because we just. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was we, thinking about the actor, not the character. But. Oh, that's my next thought. I think Johnny Galiecki is actually the un- most underappreciated actor of the four of them. He shows the widest range of emotions. We're pretty much in it, so I'm just going to say, hey, this is the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. Today we're watching Season 3, Episode 18. I'm not bothering to look up the title because the show is a farce anyway. Um, the Uranus Conundrum. The Uranus Conundrum. Yeah, that that tracks. Why don't we just... That's the new bit. I came up with the... Instead of, instead of guessing at the episode title, we're just going to rename the episodes from now on. So going forward... Every episode, we're not going to look up the title. We're just going to decide what we think it's going to be. It should have been called. Okay, and Uranus conundrum. It. This one is. Yes. And How uh, do you feel yeah. about that? Um, I feel about as positive about it as I do um, any of the episode titles. <laughs> um, it incorporates some a direct reference to the episode, so that's nice. Um, it does not hit on any bigger themes of the episode, so it wouldn't help you understand what you were ah, watching. Ah, that's what you seen. think until you realize that this whole episode is just about Sheldon having his head up his butt. Oh, my goodness. Although that's also true of every episode. I guess we're dealing with it a bit more directly in this episode. So we should get like, right to the quick summary because it's, it's pretty simple, too. The The show is basically done away with B-plots, so we're, we don't have to worry about those anymore. <laughs> Um, that is weird that they just got rid of those, yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's a uh, Leonard makes Sheldon aware that he has won a very uh, prestigious award at the university, um, which Sheldon is very excited to receive, and um, at the same time very uh, indignant because he believes that he should have gotten this award years ago anyway. Um, but he's nonetheless excited to receive it, uh, except he learns that... Um, Upon reception of the award, he has to give a speech, and he's so terrified of public speaking that he would rather just give the award back than uh, accept it and have to give his speech. And so, the uh, the the crew all decide to be uh, his his team of helpers, his X Men. Uh, but because Sheldon's last name is Cooper and starts with a C, they wouldn't be his X Men as much as they would be his Seamen. A joke which comes up a couple of times. Um, and so, yeah, they go about preparing him, uh, for, for this speech. And that's the whole focus of the episode. Penny is the fashion consultant. Raj is going to help him meditate to get over his fears. Not racist at all. Not racist at all. Uh, Leonard is going to give him some psychotherapy to help him overcome the, the deeper seated reasons that he can't, uh, speak in public. Wallowitz very openly is just a dick and says, I want nothing to do with this and doesn't help him at all. It's funny. I wonder if that's just that they're like, "Ah, oh, we really we timed it. We only have time for three bits in this episode." Yeah, we got it. We got three beats we can hit. No one likes Wallow It's anyway. So, um, and they all do go through their various uh, roles. Uh, Sheldon ends up in a snazzy suit. Um, he realizes that uh, Leonard is such a, a crumbling mess of a human that if he's able to get through his days with any sort of uh, healthy amount of functioning, that Sheldon believes that he should very very easily be able to give the speech. And uh, Raj, he doesn't really learn anything from the meditation. I want to talk about a little bit, a little more about that later, but he doesn't really seem to get anything out of it. Um, he does move on to do his speech. Uh, he does still feel nervous. Leonard introduces him and continues to have uh, a meltdown about how his own mother didn't love or uh, appreciate him enough 
um, well, while introducing Sheldon. And while that's going on, Sheldon, to deal with his anxiety, uh, Penny just starts uh, feeding him wine. And by the time he gets up, he's pretty lit and he's carrying a bottle of wine. And he proceeds to do a pretty solid stand-up comedy set about nothing but science puns. Um, I'm sold on it. I liked it a lot. And that is how the main episode ends. And then the stinger is, as Kyle wanted the episode to begin, Sheldon um, emerging from his room wearing the top of his suit. Missing his pants, exposing yeah, his tidy whities I mean, I guess it's also sort of... Well, no, Donald ducking is when you don't have any underwear. Yeah. It just makes me think of Tom Cruise in Risky Business, is what he's really dressed like. I suppose so. I mean, he's not dancing around in the sunglasses and, you know, hiring prostitutes and all that. Well, that we know of. That we know of. Maybe that's another. Maybe that was another YouTube video that they recorded of him, is when he... Yeah, they only cut it off after, like, two minutes. Um, yeah, so that's that's the short summary. So with that out of the way, uh, anything that you would like to focus on, Kyle? Oh, I caught you, caught you with your dead stare on your eyes. Here, I'll start. Um, so something that didn't help uh, Sheldon towards his his king speech at the end of the episode um, was the the meditation uh, training he'd done with Raj. Um, and so what what Raj is doing is pretty simple. Like he uh, has Sheldon sit with him in a very peaceful, dark environment with candles and incense and soothing music playing and he he instructs sheldon to um imagine his uh the place where he feels most at home and at peace and uh sheldon chooses uh his own sim city i think it was sheldon oh, sheldonopolis is what it was sheldonopolis that's yeah. correct with sheldon square sheldon stadium sheldon tower shellmart yeah um and so this is the place he feels most at peace but as he continues to describe uh his different Sim City locations, uh, he ends up also imagining getting attacked by a Sim City monster type. He he says a, a Gojira type monster comes and starts destroying the city and is trampling citizens. And the scene kind of ends with him panicking about uh, whether to, whether to leave behind the children who can't run fast enough themselves. And that's how the meditation session ends. But what I want to know is that is that where Sheldon's mind is naturally wandering when he's trying to meditate, or is even Sheldon, like, so so shitty and cynical that he, like, can't help but be messing with with Raj about his earnest meditation efforts. You know, or he's racist. I think he does, you know, call it a bunch of meditation crap at some point, too. Um, oh, no, Wallowitz does Indian meditation crap. You good there, Kyle? Yeah, I think... I mean, I thought he was being earnest. I didn't think he'd ever meditated before. And Raj specifically says, where's the safest place in the world? So it's telling Sheldon would pick somewhere that he was a god, that he had, you know, designed everything as a as a reflection of himself. You know, in many ways, for all of his intelligence, Sheldon is basically just, um, well, no, I was going to say he's the id, but that's a, he's a weird mix. I don't know. I Are you about to say he's a weird mix of the id, ego, and superego? Because that... Well, one of them he's... I was going to say, well, what, it's like he's missing one, but that's not true either. So, I don't... I don't know. Really he's the most fully actualized human being who's ever lived. That's the problem. I don't know. You're trying to, to cut down uh, whether or not he has either enough regulation or enough ego or, or enough wild self. But I think he's he's full, he's perfectly functional. He... He has his healthy amount of fantasy. He's able to work successfully as a professor. 
Uh, I mean, everybody hates him, but he kind of just lives with that. Well, no, I'm just saying his fantasy world is literally a world where everything is a reflection of him. He can't imagine. He has no. Here's what I'm trying to say. He doesn't really have much of a theory of other people's minds. No. It's like it's like in his perfect world there wouldn't be. That's what's. There's no like, like in Sheldonopolis. There's no art or culture that comes from other people. There's just reflections of himself everywhere, and that's where he spends most at peace. It'd be like. It'd be like designing a museum where it was nothing but like portraits of you. Mm-hmm. The, the perfect museum, yes. <laughs> okay. The Just most look- peaceful, serene. And then he museum. destroys it with. And then he destroys it with a kaiju. <laughs> <laughs> that is the weirdest part. Yeah, well, that's what I don't get. That's like where, like. Is this just a meditation mishap? I guess that makes sense. Maybe he was very successful because they do say that problems arise naturally during meditation that you're supposed to deal with. So he may have panicked a little strongly, but he was actually... And he specifically says that his fear of... I'm sure the writers didn't think this far through. I'm actually surprised they know how SimCity works because I did It's not clear that they do. (laughs) But his whole fear is theoretically, as he said, he's like, I'm scared of large crowds. Any crowd large enough to trample me constitutes a large crowd. And what really is Godzilla if not the manifestation of something that tramples you? So you think that when he was meditating with Raj that he was actually encountering one of his own deep-seated fears um, in, a, in a very literal form in Sheldonopolis? Yes, because what is Godzilla really, as we know from watching 87 movies, but he is just a reflection of nature that is judging mankind for its sins Mm -hmm. like sort of like the audience of the world watching tokyo and judging it so too for sheldon that audience is like the godzilla of his world and his audience disapproves of sheldonopolis and must destroy it his his tower of babel i'm just saying yes you can you can make it all work okay it's his hubris that's yeah because you only, yeah. I mean, this is basically what Leonard tries to explore, which is that is there some sense in which you fear you're not worthy of an award? Yeah, well, that was fun, though, because, like, Leonard does bring that up, and then Sheldon's answer is so obviously to be like, of course not. I've, I know I deserve this. What's wrong with you? And that's where he starts to turn it back on Leonard, and then Leonard starts to have the, the feelings of worthlessness um, and has to confront the humiliation he experienced at the hand of his mother well so this is where i actually this is where i came down which is his fear of his fear of crowds is i don't know if i how literally to take this but the way he phrases it his fear of crowds is actually just a fear of um crowds trampling him yeah that's not like an entirely irrational fear is i guess what i'm saying it's like being afraid of heights right like if you're if there's a guardrail there you know and you're freaking out because you're too high up that is a little bit irrational but also yes if that guardrail were to suddenly disappear you would fall and you would die so your fear is not entirely irrational which means if that crowd full of scientists really decided that they were going to you know gang up on sheldon throw him to the ground and curb stomp him what could sheldon do but what are the chances that the, the guardrail is going to disappear? What, is, what are the chances that the, the crowd is going to spontaneously begin to trample? I'm not saying it's likely. I'm just saying that there is a... It's important to make distinctions between, like, illogical fears and irrational fears. So, like, Sheldon's fear is irrational, but it's perfectly logical in the sense that it's, it's not like a fear of... Uh, 
I don't know, being abducted by aliens or giant spiders. It's not a fear of something that is outside the realm of possibility. Okay. So it's you're just concerned with the extent to which he is concerning himself with something that is a very unlikely event versus whether he's actually concerned with something that is literally impossible. Well, because we all do that. I mean, we every day we don't do things because we're scared of consequences that are actually quite unlikely, but we just it's not worth dealing with them when they arise. I suppose that's true. Yeah, it's true. Okay, geez, sorry. All right, I agree with you wholly. Thank you. That's all I wanted. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much others to talk about. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on about Drunk Sheldon delivering his speech slash routine at the end. He seemed to have a whole bunch of science puns all lined up. Like when he goes to the geologist and says that, you know, he loves his work, but he's sick and tired of everyone taking it for granted. And gives himself a little bazinga. I love it. I love every second of it, Kyle. Yeah, I love what... how into it he is. I love his style. I love that he's got patter. He's doing crowd work. Yeah, I just don't understand why... Is... I, again, I'm trying too hard to make all of this make sense. But why is that the person Sheldon suddenly turns into when he's drunk? Maybe that's who he wants... Maybe he, inside, wants to be a charming person. And that, logically, he understands how to do it. You know, what it is to be, like, loose in a conversation. And to move from from point to point but he's this is where i think maybe his super ego has been taking over and not allowing him to exercise his his fully schmoozy smooth side or not Uh, your eyes are going dead right now you i'm just i'm trying to process what you're saying i'm just trying to say maybe this is what he was really like if he could ever loosen up and the alcohol is letting him do that yeah that i mean last time we we saw him get super drunk he was playing lakayam uh, on a piano. It's like he has some repressed dream to be an entertainer. Don't we all? Except, aside from us who actually are entertainers, which, I don't know. Are we technically entertainers? Oh, I don't think I, I, so. That would, is, if you think has we're anyone, making an entertaining podcast, I got bad news yeah, for you, buddy. Has anyone ever been entertained by anything that we said on this podcast? Uh, um, yeah, okay, that's fine. When Sheldon walked out of the apartment, out of the room and had lost his pants, you were like, oh, that's relatable. Oh, yeah, I definitely lost my pants from Walter. Nick's oversharing life stories. It's Nick's oversharing life stories time. Haven't sung the song for a while, and I just really want an excuse to do it for this time, but I'm done. Well, the problem here, though, is that I can't really ex- share this oversharing life story because I myself am so unaware of most of it. I just know that I think it was a New Year's Eve. I was with a bunch of close friends, and... um there was drinking, and I i don't even say overindulged. I think that wouldn't be putting it. I, I indulged as I intended to, which led to some natural consequences. You mega-indulged. Such as, such as a lo- la- loss of consciousness and short-term memory. Uh, I was told the next day, though, that my friends did have to like carry me on their shoulders and force my pants onto me because I kept trying to fight them off like a petulant child. Um, and that sounds like me. That's fine. I believe that. Um, sure say I've never seen you so drunk. You can't keep your pants on. And I'm a little disappointed about that. Won't lie. I, I think I've tried to move past that part of my life. Cause as much fun as it is to, to lose your pants from having too much of the good times, having to spend half a day picking up the pieces and thinking about where your life is going. I don't know if it really 
makes it worth it. Yeah, that was the part I was you like you drove all over town trying to figure out where your pants had gone. Yeah, I, I got to be. I was like in a. You know, it was in a noir novel. You know, I was just I had like only a few clues to go off of, and I was looking for the the right tricky dame who might know the next piece of information to get me where I need to go. But it all led me back toward my own home where my pants were the whole time. I do kind of like that. Yeah, it was fun. You know, I I don't spend enough time getting blackout drunk. The last time I did was totally on purpose. I was with a friend. It was the 4th of July. And we were both like, when was the last time you just got trashed? And neither of us did it in a long time. So we both just started pounding alcohol. And the last thing I remember is being in my underwear in a friend's yard, yelling at the sun for keeping me from seeing the fireworks. Um, that was a few years ago. <laughs> uh, healthy adult, healthy fun adult. See, we got an oversharing story out of you. I guess so. I don't. That wasn't oversharing. I mean, that's all my own stuff. I didn't have to involve anyone else's lives this that's time. That's true. Um, so it wasn't quite the patented Nick Hyde's personal oversharing life stories, but it still had most of the ingredients. Anywho, I don't know anything else about the episode you actually want to talk about. Like it went down pretty smooth this time. There were some decent jokes in there. I love the stand-up stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I got. I was like, I can't believe this whole episode is really just about Sheldon talking in front of crowds. Also, I feel like we've seen him do that before, but maybe I just. He, I mean, he was on a game show and didn't have any problems with it. That was definitely in front of a crowd. Yeah. He also, I mean, it was. It probably wasn't as many people, but he gave that whole speech in front of that. He, I mean, he lectures in classrooms. Mm-hmm. How are you about giving public speeches, or do you ever have to do it? No, I mean, I was, yeah, I've, I've never had a problem with it. I do get a little, like, if I don't prepare myself in advance, sometimes I get a little jazzed up, my adrenaline gets going too high, and I start talking too fast, mm-hmm. um, which was definitely a problem I had when I was trying stand-up comedy, was that I just ripped through my routine with no pacing whatsoever. I that's mean, it also, be a problem. It also wasn't funny, but that's, you know. Less of a problem. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, but no, I've done all sorts of... You know, I was always the, there was a long period of time when, like, when I was a kid, when I was, like, basically one of the only children who could be trusted to memorize large portions of dialogue, so I did a lot of, like, child theater and stuff. Nice. I, uh... Never bothered me. I've I've always had terrible stage fright, and it was in high school that I, I started to make friends who were, like, in speech and debate and theater that... Surely, through time spent around them, I became incorporated into those activities, even though it was like not at all in my nature, and I hated it. Um, and then on top of that, there's a stand-up, uh, which I never get used to. I don't think I'm ever going to be comfortable on stage. I gave my law school graduation speech and fumbled through about half of that before I got to the part about the mole man. And then everyone is really into it, you know. So that was great. Um, I will say one thing: I was grateful. I mean, it's. Uh... So I don't know that it's really fair to not uh, – t- basically, I'm just saying I'm glad they didn't – I feel like every time someone on a TV show has a problem with public speaking, they do the imagine everyone naked thing. Yeah. And that seemed like – I don't know why I was just so sure that the Big Bang Theory was going to go there. I guess because they have no standards whatsoever and usually doesn't seem like they would ever hesitate to recycle a joke, but they didn't. Yeah. No. It never um, came up. No, they just went about it the old traditional drink and make a fool of yourself way. No no room full of people standing around in their underwear. Which, to be fair, is probably a more uh, reliable strategy. I think so. That, you know, that will actually loosen you up and not just have you playing. I don't even know what if, like, 
is the effect of the imagining everyone in their underwear is that supposed to be so you just take them less seriously or something? Or? I, I I don't know if it's it seems like it's one of those things you know there are movie things where it's like I don't know that that ever worked for anyone ever yeah. and it's such old advice I don't even know where it came from it's probably one of those things that was like in a self help book somewhere in like 1972 and you know those pre Star Wars years when everything was godless yeah and science hadn't been invented yet the darkest of times. Um, we should probably start wrapping up, uh, and get to our nerd things. Uh, but hey, we're on Facebook. It's great. Check us out. I don't know. Whatever. Woo-ha. Um, let's get to our nerd things of the week. Kyle, do you have one in the chamber or should I go first? All right. I'm on it. Um, my nerd thing of the week, I kind of worry, isn't really specifically a nerd thing, honestly, but I love it so much that I wanted to bring it up anyway. Um, which is, I recently noticed that, uh, the series Party Down was available online again. This is a short-lived show that I think originally aired on the Stars Network and um, has, I think, well-known, but at the time lesser well-known actors in it who I really like. Adam Scott is the lead role as a... Uh, so the, the, the show, it's all about um, a catering company that consists mostly of Hollywood aspiring acting and writing types. And so Adam Scott as the lead is someone who had a modicum of success and had a very widespread popular commercial he was in that people recognize him from. But he is at the point in his career where he hasn't had any uh, recent successes and is ready to drop out and just focus on working and living his life. Um, and like I said, everyone else there is kind of a Hollywood type. You've got the the super nerdy writer who's stuck up and believes that his heart is played by a Martin Starr, that his hard sci-fi is the most superior of genres and everything else that anyone else is trying to, to do is hack nonsense garbage. Um, the love interest is played by Lizzie Kaplan, and she is an aspiring stand-up comedian who keeps getting gigs that get canceled last moment and is being kind of jerked around by the Hollywood system. And uh, Ken Marino plays the team leader of the party down uh, caterers it, he is not in any way a Hollywood type. He's just a very earnest and hardworking failure who's trying his best to lead this team. And so he can, his his original ambition is he eventually wants to open his own Super Crackers franchise. And it's all building toward that. Um, but it's a show I really liked before moving to L.A. And now that I've lived here for a few years, I like it that much more. I was going to ask, I was like, does it feel super, do you feel like they nailed those stereotypes more now that you've lived here? I don't think... My view on the stereotypes has changed at all, but it's just like having sort of lived that life now, um, except not in the way they are. Like I came out here and I was like, I want to focus on comedy stuff. And then I, I, I fucked up and I immediately like started focusing and getting a law job again because like I think I am just absolutely miserable being unemployed. I can't do it. Um, and so I, I found a job and then I got a real law job and my comedy stuff went to the side and law jobs stressed me out, kind of made me miserable. And so I ended up not doing any of it, but these people, you know, they're all catering. They're picking up the work where they can. They're out there staying hungry because they don't have any security or success. And they're really just trying their best to, to grind through and work their way up. And I feel like that's an experience that I kind of have missed out on, which I know isn't pleasant, um, and that most people are trying to get away from, but. I, I don't know. I think maybe I need to live the real struggle for a while so I can uh, appreciate what I have and try to refine my talents in a terrible crucible of life experiences. <laughs> Party down. Pretty good. I'd watch it. It's great. It's available on Hulu right now for who knows how much longer. And it's easy to watch. It's only two seasons long, ten episodes each. 
ish. Um, it's great. Really well written. Uh, the jokes have more or less aged well. There's some insulting terminology that is no longer acceptable 10 years after the fact. But uh, I guess that's my very vague trigger warning. <laughs> but it's it's overall um, really high quality show. Um, it's kind of unfortunate that it was short-lived, but at the same time, it's a blessing because it didn't have a chance to really get stale or anything like that. And part of the reason the show ended is a lot of the big actors went on to do bigger and better things. So it was like a real success story about these failures. Um, it's really nice. All right, that's it. Kyle, your turn. Thank you. Uh, I'm reading my way through the back issues of um, a comic book called JLA. Mm. JLA stands for Justice League of America, so you may have heard of them. They're the most iconic. Well, it's weird. Nowadays, I feel like people would say maybe the Avengers are more iconic, but that's a that's that's literally unless you're like a Gen Zer, then you probably don't remember that. But there was definitely a time when no one had heard of the Avengers. A lot of people had heard of the X-Men, but if you were actually in the comic books, and like the superhero team, of course, was the Justice League, which was because they had Batman and Sue. If nothing else, if it wasn't like the team you had heard the most of, it was the one that had the most people on it that you knew who they were without having to be told. Um, and JLA was like the reboot of it because it, it had gone through a bunch of different like versions and incarnations like because from like the classic silver age sort of like silly version sort of through like the super friends version to you know the weird uh 70s and 80s version where they tried all sorts of different reboots and then the 90s they brought it back with grant morrison and grant morrison uh and another guy named mark wade who were like two very different people but both like huge rising stars in the comic book world um, wrote like back-to-back runs on JLA that sort of like just took it right back to the top, which like the whole thing was like, we're going to use only the original like superheroes from the original Justice League and no one, no one's ever heard of. And then we're only going to tell like massive stories that are like massive in scale. And that's all, um, I don't know. Why was I bringing this up? Oh, cause it's our nerd recommendation. Yeah. Um, I guess what I like about it is that it's very clat, like it's basically, um, of it's like very pure superhero genre, like storytelling. Like it's neither a deconstruction nor is it like a, you know, almost not a super. Like a lot of you know, I love the X Men, but a lot of times the X Men is like it's either like a science fiction story that just happens to have people with superpowers in it, or it's like a teen romance story mm-hmm. that happens to have superpowers. But no, every issue of the JLA is always like, oh no, there's a giant squid monster that's coming to annihilate mankind. And we have to band together and use our unique powers to stop the, you know, giant squid monster from, like, mating with Tokyo. Mm. But but incredibly high quality. Like, nice. just incredibly well written. And it has, like, some of the most classic, um, like, probably the most famous JLA arc was written by Mark Wade. And it's called um, Tower of Babel. And in it, Ra's al Ghul is able to almost destroy the entire justice league because unbeknownst to all of them he has uh he has a set of plans that detail specifically how to take down every member of the justice league from superman to like the flash and all of those plans were written by batman because he's been keeping notes on how to kill all of them in case he needs to and in, in like a secret diary 
and then Rachel Ghoul steals it and uses it against them. I, I have not I'm not super familiar with the JLA, but I have heard wind of Batman's secret murder diary, and I'm really glad to hear it come up again and have been purloined by by Al Ghoul. Yeah, it was also um yeah, it was the comic book that sort of put like Batman was big in like the Dark Knight Returns, but this is like where the the Grant Morrison version of Batman is like the first version of the character to do like the whole well, he really just has a plan for everything. He has no superpowers, but he's always like 18 steps ahead and thinks in 12 dimensions and you just you can't beat his superior tactical supercomputer mind. Yeah. A lot of fun stories. Pretty good. All right. So, our choices this week are series about a bunch of aspiring and failing actors and performers uh or party down <laughs> um waka waka uh yeah i don't know i feel pretty good i feel like we survived this one pretty well yeah cool cool cool, cool, cool. <laughs> i don't know I don't know what you want me to I say. I don't feel ready to end it. I don't know how else to end it, though. Well, we don't... Uh, I love you. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs>